0: All right, welcome back into the Plank Show. Our top five stories of the day shift to hour three for the, I guess, for for now. And we will be all over what is big story number one, which is Britt Venables' presser yesterday, signing day. Uh, we've already had a shift in the OU schedule. Women's gymnastics moved to Sunday, at, at least from what I can tell, Josh. That looks to be the only event right now that has been affected, right? Appears to be.
1: So far as I know, I guess I can keep digging for us. Looks like wrestling will still happen.
0: Looks like the Bedlam series will still happen. The Bedlam game will uh, start, be on Saturday in Stillwater. I think we're good. I think we're good. In the meantime, 405 three two nine nine thousand If you want to jump in, that's 405 Looky here, True Sooner kicks off hour two. What's up, True? What's going on, guys? Just another snowy day. Are you out on the route already, or how's it treating? I you? am out.
2: I am out here right now, driving through the snow with my windows down and just enjoying the sunny weather we got.
0: Not bad. It's
2: actually. Uh, I mean, it's cold. Are, it's just, it's
0: it's just cold. Not bad. It's a lot yep. better than yesterday. Yep. I hear yeah,
2: I, I, I have this vision in my mind, Chris, of, of. You know, remember that little old man that used to be on Benny Hill that Benny Hill used to slap on top of his head all the time. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah. Listen, we're really, really dating ourselves with our with these references, but yes, I absolutely okay. remember the Benny Hill show. My parents would not I, let I, me watch it, but yes, right, yes,
2: right. So I had this vision of this little old man helping Josh push his car out of the, you know, out of you know, out of the rut, and then and then as 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 little old man's waving goodbye, Josh is like spraining with snow. <laughs>
1: I don't think I know, it was quite that, that severe, but uh, I think that's actually it was, kind uh, of a funny <laughs> reference. It was three younger guys, but, yeah, that is that is comical. <laughs> hey, what do you guys think? Okay, first
2: of all, Clemson, what did they finish up with in the rankings, or the recruiting rankings? Do you guys know?
0: Oh, let me look. I got it right here in front of me. Uh, what, what's the theory or reasoning behind it? I'm
2: just wondering, you know, they, it's not like they've had a lot of top five classes. I wonder what impact. Uh, bendables being gone if it had any 11 sure it had somewhat of an, it they finished 11 so so they oh you and oh and Clemson got about the same uh level of players I would guess um according to the the gurus you know but I was just curious on what that and I I would love somebody to ask Brent and maybe they already have maybe I just haven't heard it yet but you know I, I would love for somebody to ask him what is he different? In, you know, in, in a nutshell, there's probably a lot of answers to this, and I'll let you go after this. But in a nutshell, how different are you about, like? What's the difference in your coaching? What What have you learned in the last ten years since you left OU? What? How are you a different coach than you were when you left here? And he may say, "I'm not. I'm, I'm not different." But I'd, I'd love to know what improvements that that he thinks he's made since he's you know, because he's he's probably got a lot if you think about that. The coaches he's been under, because we're all learning, right? So uh, that'd be something I'd like to hear. hear
0: well, I think play. and I appreciate the phone call, true. All right, see you. I, I think in a lot of ways he's answered that. Now I don't know if the the question has been as direct as, "Hey, man, how are you different from when you were here?" Right? I don't, I don't know if it's been that direct, Josh. But I I know that he has talked about kind of learning more about just investing in the players from his time. And, not, and it's wild because anytime you say anything, oh, man, I really learned how to invest myself in the players. That's not to say he wasn't before. <laughs> so it's almost like this double-edged sword. You just learn a different approach to it. And I think, at least from what I've taken from Brent Venables. From the three, and Coach, if you feel like there's a, a major influence I'm missing out on, from the three Hall of Fame influences he's had on his career as head coaches, and in, in Bill Snyder, Bob Snoop, uh, Bob Stoops, and uh, why did I just blank on Dabo Swinney's name, but Dabo Swinney, it seems as if he's taken a, a, a lot of bit from each one of those guys and it's helped kind of shape his approach. So I, I think that there's – I don't know if it's been as that – That's I know a lot of people have written about it, but to me, Josh, I think just that true kind of love and, and caring that you see that, that Dabo has is – I think that's one thing he's talked about that he's really kind of taken from his time at Clemson.
1: And he, he talked a little more in length yesterday about sole mission here at Oklahoma, and I think, I think Clemson had maybe something similar – to that. So just the holistic approach of Clemson football, that it's not just going to be about wins and losses. And Brent said as much yesterday that it's not that necessarily it's inherently bad to for a football program to be focused on football, right? I mean there's a lot of places around yes. the country in plenty of places around the country that have been very successful Making football the main thing is the main thing is the main thing. Football, football, football. But for Brent Venables, the way that he wants to run things, that's that's just not how he sees it. And I, I think we got a good glimpse of that yesterday with him talking about he wants every single player to, to be able to have a suit. That's something that's important to him. Maybe it sounds a little kooky or silly to some or, you know, folks roll their eyes at that a little bit and say, well, don't they already get this stipend or that? I mean, to me, that's symbolic. That's what Brent's about. That's the vision that he has. Do you know, I was, I was going back through here,
0: Josh. And when true brought it up, I started digging through kind of the last decade of, of rankings for Clemson, And I'm sitting here looking at their lowest-rated class. And their lowest-rated class had a team ranking of 22nd in the country. Let me give you some names that were in that class of 2017. That was ranked 22nd in the country. Travis Atien, A.J. Terrell, T Higgins, Amari Rodgers. Do, do you know what all those guys have in common? Jordan Williams. They're all playing currently in the NFL. And I want to say there were two first round draft picks there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh one of them one of them was a uh the first pick of the second round. That's un Believable, And that was a 22nd ranked class in the country.
1: Well, and probably it was kind of just strictly by numbers that it wasn't yeah. ranked all that yeah, high. Exactly. I'm, I'm looking at this class. Sorry. T. Higgins was a five-star according to 247 Sports. Hunter Johnson was too, and he never panned out. ETN was a four. So some of that's just the numbers. But I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And I was actually kind of digging through Clemson's team rankings over the last – five, six, seven years as well. They're not as good as I would have thought they were. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of years where they were great, but okay. So we said this year, they're number 11. We're talking
0: about Clemson, by the way, just to make this clear for those who just tuned in.
1: Clemson in 2021, number five, according to two, four, seven sports. Okay. Well, that's really good. 19, uh, 2020, they were number three. So those two years, they're they're great, but you look at nineteen. they were number ten. You look at the year two thousand eighteen. they were number seven. I mean, that's Oklahoma territory. That's where OU's been at is okay, jump up to number seven nationally. okay, fall back a little bit to nine or ten. And Clemson has been able to. Build this national power with that. Now, after you win a national championship, then we saw them jump up to five and three. But the foundation of Clemson winning that initial national championship, it wasn't with the top three recruiting class or the top five signing class. They got to that point after they won big, but uh, initially they won big with kind of the same sort of territory that Oklahoma's living in. It is... It's it's pretty cool to look back at those numbers,
0: to be honest with you. And again, it goes back to development, right? It goes back to development. Oh, and by the way, don't as Josh mentioned, there's some top five classes in there. You know, there's some really good dudes there, and most of these classes. I mean, I just what year did I bring up? 2017. There's still. Three five stars in that class, so <laughs> correct. <laughs> There's they're still getting some as the kids would say, some dogs. But yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to look back. Good question. All right, let's um, revisit. My gosh, <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at this 2000 and uh, 16 class, number six in the country. It's just NFL guys all over the place. John Simpson, starting guard for the Raiders. Isaiah Thomas, first-round pick. Dexter Lawrence, maybe one of the biggest difference makers on the interior in the NFL right now. Unbelievable. All right, Um. so with that in mind, Josh, let's go back, and we were playing the cut near the end of the first hour. I want to give you all two minutes of it here about Brent Venables and – how long he's thought about building a staff. And this caught your eye because, what, it does kind of circle back to the the Miguel Chavis conversation a bit.
1: Yeah, John Shin was asking the question, hey, can you tell us a little bit more about the hirings of Miguel Chavis and Jay and and how long in your mind have you been formulating maybe what a potential staff might look like?
0: I was going to try to be really good and hit play right after you say that, but my hand slipped off the mouse. All right. Three, two, one.
3: A a long time. And, you know, again, I've always been focused on being a great teammate, being loyal, being, being great right where my feet are. I've just never, um, I'm not a big network kind of guy. I'm certainly not a, um, I got a strong opinion on stuff, but I'm not a self promoter. I've just always believed in trying to be a great teammate, being patient. Um, I want to do a great job for the players that I, I coach. I didn't ever want them. I asked them to give me everything they got. And so, you know, I've always felt very indebted uh, and very loyal to, to my players. Every, like, I want to do everything I can to help my players all the way till the ball snapped uh, sometimes, you know, and I never want to let them down. And the, the other thing can be said for the people I work with, the co- my colleagues, I, I think about their families every day. I think about their kids. I think about the, the head coach that I that I work for and how much he's counting on me to do not a good job, but to be my best. And um, just, I've I always said, man, if I get hired, like when I, I got hired as a graduate assistant, man, I'm gonna be the best GA ever. And, um, and I've always just had this uh, um, appreciation for uh, my opportunity and I've never, ever uh, taken it for granted. And, um, and so I've all, that's my expectation for everybody else too, players, coaches, um, staff, um, one of the best things that Bill Schneider did was he coached coaches. So, man, I was always taking notes of that. And, um, I thought, you know, I've had opportunity even as, a, as, a, as a coordinator to coach coaches too, you know, you coach your players, but you also coach your staff that you're empowered to, um, to lead. And so I've been leading and, and coaching coaches and in my mind, developing, uh, coaches, uh, in my role for a very, very long time, but I've had the opportunity to meet uh, Jay a long time ago on the recruiting trail. I've known him since his high school days as a player. And man, I was just instantly magnetically attracted to this guy as far as who he was as a person, his energy, um, his values, uh, his football acumen, uh, his simplicity, his humility, um, all those things I was very attracted and I knew he was a great, uh, uh, recruiter and things of that nature too, but so much more. And then same thing with Miguel, we hit it off immediately as a former player. And I sat in the staff room with him every day. Um, he coached at camp with us. He had some opportunities to coach uh, because of COVID and some things like that, uh, as well over the last few years. But, uh, you know, just, you, you know, when you know, you know, it when you see it, and you know, it when you don't. And, uh, so is here in the last, uh, five, six, seven years, I knew that those were two guys that, man, those were and definitely guys I was going to try to hire that would make me better. And, um, you know, because you got to have, you're only as good as the people that you, you surround yourself with. So uh, I was fortunate. I really, I can go down the list and say the same thing with virtually everybody that I've hired, like, not virtually, everybody that I have. And um, and so finding the right people has been a critical, critical thing. And then also having the support from Joe and uh, Zach and Larry to be able to hire the right people, too. And that's um, that we've had to navigate that. That's not I didn't take any of that for granted either. You know, they're all at great places and um, come with a, a price tag and uh, create a, a vision and opportunity for them to, to make it all Uh, fit together organically so that's been that's been a a lot of fun uh, for me but one again I've been preparing for for a long time
0: can I throw a theory when we come back Josh about why I think that Lincoln Riley leaving has actually been a good thing for Oklahoma's
1: move to the SEC I would love that. I'm all ears. Okay. Yes, on a Friday. Are you kidding yeah. me? Send right. us into the weekend with why yeah. it's good for the SEC move, please.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, I want to make this very clear. I'm not – I always feel like I give this disclaimer. I'm not a, oh, Tebow guy. I'm not a mule shoe snake guy. I've always been appreciative of what Lincoln did during his time here. Wish him the best at the USC. I just think we're better. Infinitely better. And I'll explain why next. Plus more from Brent Venables. We're going to hear from Nick Evers and why he chose Oklahoma, plus Dylan Gabriel later in the show. If you want to hear from the mid-year enrollees in depth, Josh and I have been kind of parsing through it, finding the good stuff, because you can tell Caleb Williams' relationship with him is very much a good one. Uh, (laughs) So we've been trying to find the good football stuff from his conversations with him from signing day. We'll share it with you next. But they're available right now. On the Sooner Sports Podcast at Soonersports.com slash podcast. It's the Plank Show. Uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line. Do not text and drive. But if you're chilling, hit us up. Area code 405-651-3439. You can use, of course, the old school way. Pick up the phone and call us. 405-329-9000. Josh, we have a banner edition of the top five stories of the day at 11 a.m. coming up. And I've noticed that there is a lot of – there is a lot of Trey Young talk that's starting to kind of get me excited about the NBA. Hawks are suddenly a thing again. So, we'll hit some of that in the top five. I found
1: myself watching a little bit of the NBA over the last couple of nights.
0: I was watching a little bit of Lakers Clippers last night after Trey Young put in 43 to beat the – the suns last night.
1: I'll tell you uh, what I watched a bunch of last night was some hashtag Pac 12 hoops after dark. So we, we might need a moment
0: where you can take me back through the end of the Pac 12 hoops after dark because we had a UCLA player that got arrested after that game. Did you really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I, I did not know that. That was a great game. It was. Hey, you know what? And as much as I have to deal with
0: Arnie, Arizona's pretty good. That is a team that has taken full advantage of the transfer portal and what they've done. And, gosh, I've got all these stories on the Washington football team and the uh, harassment hearings that are currently taking place. So, we'll, we'll get to it all in the top five stories of the day, plus trying to figure out what's going on in Auburn. But let me pose this theory real quick for you, and you tell me what you think. And I've thought about it. It's it's um, something I've been workshopping a little bit. And some of it is is Captain Obvious, right? Everyone knew that things were going to need to be different when Oklahoma entered the SEC. Staffing was was needing to be expanded. Recruiting budgets were going to need to be increased, right? But I can't – and I know Teddy's talked about this and then he's talked about it not just here on The Ref – on The Rush. He's talked about it with with Gabe on his podcast. I've heard others that... uh, I've heard Parker talk about this with uh, Steely. I've heard others and other entities. But it's never going to resonate with anyone nationally. Like, I'm not going to be able to go and sit down with any of, I guess, the quote-unquote national college football guys. Well, you know what? Let me rephrase that. I think some of the college football guys would get it. I do. I think if, if you were to sit down with the Andy Staples and The, nah, Barrett's just those hot takes. But the Bruce Feldman's of the world, I think they would get it, right? If you were to say, Lincoln Riley leaving sucks, but it triggered something in everyone that had them feeling some kind of way about where this program needs to be. And, A, you bring in Brent Venables, whom everyone loves, and everyone's always wanted to see back in Norman. And we've seen him have success in Clemson. That's one thing. But, Josh, there's just this idea in my mind that if if Lincoln had stuck around, Caleb Williams was still here. I still think this program is in a good place going into the SEC. I really do. But I just get this sense that since Britton Venables has took over. Took over? Taken over? Is there one that works better? Than taken over. Thank you. But since Brent Venables has taken over and has shared this vision and embracing of all things that are the next step for this program, because and it clicked for me whenever he was talking about it at the end of his JVLI slash Miguel Chavis conversation that, hey, you know, we got to be grateful to Joe, Zach, and Larry. That's Joe Castiglione, Zach Selman, and Larry Nafee who help make sure that the budget is there that when you go to Alabama and you're like, Jay Valibe, we want you to join us, you're able to, to get him financially. So from boosters, from administrators, and I think everyone involved, Josh, I think it triggered some kind of emotion to say, all right, we're going to do whatever it takes. Now, again, I I know for some, you're like, Yeah! Get our bag men out there. I, I, and again, look what AM's done. I, I, I know for some of you, that automatically becomes this unfettered feeling that I just said go cheat. No, no, no. <laughs> Which I didn't realize until I was talking to someone the other day how that's really like a big deal with people, that they're mad that they don't think that we skirt the rules enough at Oklahoma, but whatever. Um, I just think that it triggered something. Because Brent Venable's he said at the first press conference, he found the guy to lead you into the SEC. But talks one thing. Seeing what happens in building the infrastructure that was there, but maybe, you know, needed a lot of fine tuning and bulking up. Josh, I think that they're in a better place because it's almost as if it's not a sleeping giant that you woke up, right? You just kind of woke up something. Right, I I don't know what it is. You've you've reignited a fire that might have been on cruise control, for some some donors and maybe even some in the administration. Where it's like we're going to win, we're good. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, he did what? He left us for who? All right, let's show him. Right, and and I just I heard that at the end of that cut from Brent Venables, and I thought about it in a while, but I don't really know if it's. I don't know if it's a we're going to show you we're better than us as much as it is, let's show what we're really all about, right? This, you know, Patty Gasso said something to me, well, to all of us, because she said it on this station, on this show. Two years ago, three years ago, whatever it was, when Missy Lombardi left, right? When Melissa Lombardi left and went to Oregon, it was a, whoa, kind of moment. You knew Coach Lombardi was going to be a head coach at some point, but Coach Gasso said, you know, it wasn't anything necessarily – Negative, you know, you wanted to see her get a job, but it kind of, everything was always smooth, right? Everything was, here's what we're doing in the off season. Here's how it's going to go. We're going to do this, this, and this. All right, good, we're set. But it kind of challenges you to to change. And I just get this sense. And 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 again, it's not anything we haven't talked about. It just was reinforced to me whenever I listen to this and I see that they've hired you know, 14 new people in that Switzer Center. They brought in 14 new full-time salaried employees that are charged with basically nothing but the the man, the personal side of, of football players, right? And you're like, they're doing things different. And when Coach Casso had to go out and find a new pitching coach, everything that was just so, I don't know, regimented and set, Suddenly changes. Oklahoma's got to find not only a new coach, and they did that, but they've got to prepare for that next move on football. And it seems as if, not just with the Lincoln, but with the excitement of Brent Venables, it's ratcheted up to another degree. You could have gone and hired someone not named Brent Venables, and I don't know if it would be the same juice that we currently have right now. In not just his press conferences and how he deals with recruiting, but just in general for everyone that is involved in kind of helping to set the foundation. So that's kind of my workshop that this was the perfect guy at the perfect time to make sure that this program was given the wake-up call maybe that it needed to make sure that it doesn't fall into a situation where Mac Engle in a couple of years from now is able to be like, yeah, see, I told you, OU.
1: Agreed. Agreed. It makes sense because of Brent Venable's time, the success that he had, yep. the fact that Venables originally was a part of that group that came with Bob Stoops and resurrected this thing and understands what this place looks like when it's humming, when it's winning championships, when it's one of the best, one of the elite, elite programs in college football. And sometimes it it's... Not the worst thing for somebody to come charging into a tip to rock the foundation for everybody to find out, oh, okay, okay, the okay. foundation's right. pretty strong here at the University of Oklahoma and for people to be involved that are passionate about it. I think about this quote from Miguel Chavis where his hiring was announced. He says, Quote, the fan base here is amazing. They have great energy. That's perfect because I'm a passionate guy, an energy guy, who will also bring knowledge, toughness, excitement. I can't wait. My biggest message to our current players is, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I chose to be here. This is my dream job, end quote. And that's after earlier mentioning that when he thought about the quote-unquote mecca, of college football, the cream of the crop in college football, it was Clemson, it was OU, Clemson, because of Brent Venables, it was Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and OU, and sure, you could say, okay, well, that's Miguel Chavis, white knighting here for the job that he just got, his first position coach's job, but, uh, I believe that. I I believe that Oklahoma is one of those types of programs. And there's people now here in place that get that, believe in that, and because of Brent Venables see that, the possibility here. Yeah. And I guess guess my whole
0: mindset is this is as much about, oh, you always knew. And Joe C. said that at the very first press conference when Lincoln Riley left. When he stood there with Bob Stoops and President Harris, he's like, "We knew, we we knew." But I just I get this sense that when he when he decided and he hired Brent Venables, changes were going to come. But I don't know if anyone really truly could embrace how different that whole landscape would be from the the people committed, and I mean this in a good way, the people that are committed to a non football side with these men that they bring in. The amount of money that is going to be spent on recruiting, which is fine. The uh, need to restructure some things within the Switzer Center and kind of the way that it's set up. I just – I don't think anyone realized how once Brent Venables got in front of him, they'd be like, yeah, you're right, we need to do that. That You're right. Let's go. <laughs> it's If you can whittle it down to the maybe the simplest way to explain it, it's almost as if someone is selling you Girl Scout cookies and you know you're going to buy a box. Like, yeah, I'll take a box. And the next thing you know, you end up buying 20 boxes. And you're like, I don't know why, but it seemed like a good idea. She sold me on it, and we're
1: going to go win with these 20 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. You know, the, the best thing, the, the best way I can describe the feeling that these past couple of months give Oklahoma fans or at least at least give me covering Oklahoma – You talk about the SEC, why you'd feel better today with Brent Venables as the head coach instead of Lincoln Riley. You need somebody that genuinely, genuinely, to his core, the people that are around him, they're in it for the long haul. They want to coach at Oklahoma. They want the challenge of the SEC, and nothing that has happened— since Brent Venables took over on December 6th, has led me to believe anything other than, okay, Brent Venables is ready for this challenge once this challenge at Oklahoma embraces this challenge of the Southeastern Conference. And that's important. I, I don't think we can lose sight of that. Not just to sit here and poke and bash at Lincoln Riley, but I do think there was a little trepidation on some level from Lincoln Riley and maybe from certain staff members that were here about... Do we really want to get involved in trying to make this leap to the SEC? Okay, if you're not all in, don't be in at all. And Oklahoma is in a positive situation that you've got somebody in preventables. It's so obvious, Plank. Listening to him, he spent an hour and a half with the media in a makeup session yesterday. Are you kidding me? That's Who does that? No one. And we'll hear more of it coming up next. There you
0: go. I just wanted to share that. And it's, again, it has... I don't want to say forced anyone. Oh, it forces you to think differently. No, no, no. You knew you were going to have to think differently. You knew changes were going to have to come. Now you do it and you're like, this good. This is this is a good thing. And maybe there's a okay, why why this? Okay? What what needs to be done? What what stands out about this? It's almost as if those questions don't even really need to be asked. Like you you think it's good, you think we need it? Let's go. That's awesome. All right, quick break. When we come back, uh, Brent Venables talked about the transfer portal edition, specifically Dylan Gabriel to kick off his presser, and we'll have it for you next right here on The Plank Show. I guess if I could try to make a, a, one finalized point in what, – what's that line from Billy Madison? The Everyone non- in this room is now
1: – <laughs> But no, nothing you said – Could have been construed as a, yeah, I don't know. I'll find it before we get out of here. I I think
0: part of this comes from just kind of me being done with the whole, and I listen, our our station has profited off of it and the mule shoe snake thing, and I'm never going to tell anyone how to think, but we're better. Oklahoma's better. And I can't sell Colin Coward on that, I can't sell Arnie Spanier on that. I can't because all they see is, well, Caleb Williams went with Lincoln Riley and he started as a freshman and Lincoln Riley won all these games and they're right. They're right. But man, what's currently going on in that South End Zone facility right now? Ask some people that have been around it. Listen to Toby who spent uh, all day on signing day. Over there. Which, by the way, t Row, your interviews dropped tonight. They are all fantastic. Got me through a trip back yesterday. It was amazing. So, just ask them. Now, again, the ultimate answer comes on what? Game day, right? We still got to get there. We got to get to game day. And let's see this team win some games. But I'll tell you what. It is, to me, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. All right, um. Brent Venables was asked yesterday, in his redo of his signing day press conference, about the transfer portal guys and the nine guys they brought in.
3: Well, I mean, we wouldn't have brought them in. I'll be honest, uh, all of all nine of them. Yeah, we wouldn't have brought them in had we not uh, felt the need for um, immediate help at those positions. So, offensive line, uh, the depth there, um, the tight end Parker being a, a really a devastating blocker. Um, uh, looking at, uh, defensively, uh, starting on the defensive line, both inside and outside, um, having a chance with, uh, with Jonah and Jeffrey, both, uh, being able to, uh, contribute right away, you know, being physical guys, uh, guys with, uh, some, you know, tremendous experience, you know, McCade, on his side was a three-year starter. Jeffrey, I believe was a four-year starter, uh, and, uh. Just a tremendous experience with, with all of them. You know, Tyler Guyton just a just a freshman last year, but played as a tr- as a freshman uh, for TCU. Um, really show his athletic ability, what he's able to do as both an H back and an offensive lineman. Um, uh, looking at uh, defensively, the second and the third level TD roof. Uh, he's been a tremendous player at, at the, a couple of the schools that he was at. Just a great leader. Uh, coach's kid that really the game comes easy to him, but uh, you know I think you know. And then just looking at again the the uh, secondary, Keani, uh, Trey Morrison, both those guys give you a lot of versatility, uh, some some immediate depth with both some guys that left, uh, and guys that graduated, uh, both at the safety in that corner. But uh, you know I, I would be surprised if if all nine of them don't um, contribute contribute right away and uh so that's that's the thinking really is you know you're not bringing them in from an emergency standpoint you're really bringing them in uh to help you where you're just a little light in your numbers and uh you know and, and again these are guys that we also believe that can fit you know philosophically uh you know who they are as people as leaders uh just have maturity experience uh to me really important that these are guys that um were good players where they were at and bright futures where they were at uh made the right stuff but they looked at the Oklahoma opportunity as a very unique opportunity uh to be able to play uh, at a place like Oklahoma uh where again there might be a position of
0: need so I, I we'll have much more from this now inevitably it's it's usually josh not about what we saw but maybe
1: about what we didn't see, if that makes any sense at all? It does. Yeah, I'm wondering why C.J. Colden wasn't listed in the release that Oklahoma put out. They announced the five signees on National Signing Day and nine scholarship transfers, and C.J. Colden, the Wyoming cornerback transfer, was not among that group. So maybe – Maybe there's a good answer for it. I, I, just, I, I have one. I have one.
0: The nine that were mentioned, Dylan Gabriel, quarterback, then offensive lineman Tyler Guyton and McCain Matar out of California. Which, by the way, speaking of pronunciations, it was nice to finally get the exact pronunciation of Canick, right? Canick. Jaron Canick. Not Canuck. Or Conick. Jared Canick. Um Anyway. Back to the point. He's he's a high school guy. We'll talk about him later. But here's the mid-year enrollees. Dylan Gabriel, Tyler Guyton, McCain uh defensive lineman Jeffrey Johnson, and Jonah Lua out of Hawaii. Defensive backs Trey Morrison, Kenai Walker out of Louisville. I don't know why I said it like that, but there you go. Daniel Parker, the tight end from Missouri, and TD Roof, the Appalachian State linebacker. From my understanding, they are still expecting C.J. Colton to be a sooner. So, just like, I guess, waiting until the summer. According to my well-placed source, he wasn't coming until next semester. Okay, well, that makes sense. That's what I was curious about. Now, I want to be very clear. Um, I I might be rooting for this, seeing that we did have a guest on from Wyoming to talk about C.J. Colton.
1: <laughs> so... I kind of hope he ends up showing up. Speaking of having a little bit of skin in the game, we yeah, would like for we, we would like for him to wind up at Oklahoma since we had a guest from Wyoming <laughs> talking about him winding up at Oklahoma. Oh, uh, but that is my understanding. And you know, it's still kind of
0: amazing, quick break. When we come back, seven guys that we talked about that we thought the Sooners were in on on signing day. Uh as it stands right now, They only did not get two of them. And one in Devin Campbell was a bit of a long shot anyway, right? The kid out of Texas had been a long-time commit to the Longhorns. And the other one was kind of the surprise defensive lineman. uh, Who was it? Ahmad Moten. That ended up signing with Miami. Campbell was a long-time Texas commit. It was kind of a long shot. Didn't get him. Moten, they didn't get him. And now, you know, there's one guy that's waiting until March.
1: Josh Connerly, thank you, Connerly, that could still end up signing. (laughs) And Lebius Overton, in case you missed it yesterday, reclassified, and that's a big-time OU target. So, we'll talk about that much more next right here on the Home Sooner Fans. You know what we haven't
0: talked enough about? Bedlam basketball tomorrow, Josh Helmer. Hoo-hoo, it's a big game
1: for Oklahoma.
0: Gotta have it. If you missed any of Porter Moser on with Toby this morning and Dave Hunziker, It is currently available on our podcast page at sportstalk1400.com. Big one, right? And how about Mike Boynton coming out and saying, it's like the biggest game of our season. Now, again, I know coaches say that a lot, but you, you look at what Oklahoma State has to play for this year. No postseason, right? No Big 12 tournament. So you want to beat your rival, right? Those are the moments that can make your
1: season. For Oklahoma State this weekend, that's what we talked a little bit about yesterday afternoon. Ah, is ah, it, see, it, I was listening. It, it is, it is for Oklahoma State. It's it's bedlam's always large, but this one is larger in the sense that there is no Big Twelve tournament date, NCAA tournament. You were barred from postseason competition this year. You know how. It gets down in Stillwater for this game versus Oklahoma on any occasion, right. but when you, ha- you when you're eliminated from being able to participate in either of the postseason events, sure, th- this mm. gains importance for Oklahoma State. And with a losing record coming in ten and eleven, following uh, Kansas State's late three point shot to beat them just the other night uh, in Manhattan. You want to take something positive from this season and beating Oklahoma would uh, absolutely fit that billing. Twelve? What am I? Why am I giving twelve Eastern times? This isn't that dog. 11 a.m.
0: Saturday morning on ESPN two. You know what? I'm intrigued by. There's a game that interests me in the Big 12 beyond obviously Oklahoma and, and, and Oklahoma State and Baylor. Baylor, Kansas.
1: Baylor, Kansas, man. 3 o'clock tomorrow, that's on ESPN. When is the last time Kansas lost back-to-back home games? Do you know it, or do I have to look it up? I I, I don't know it. Oh, I'm sure
0: Toby knows it. Uh, last home, let's see. I was joking de- during the break um, for Josh that we should have a segment in the future, which are Google tabs that I have open, and I don't know why. It's because there's like five or six that at the end of the show, I'll look back. I'm like, why do I have that open?
1: Here's something to think about. Go ahead. When's the last time Kansas lost back-to-back home games by 15-plus points? Oh, well, it's been a minute, I would imagine. But, oh, they don't have it in this story.
0: I, I figure they might have it in this story. Because
1: Kansas bounced back after the Kentucky loss and won at Iowa State. Is that correct? Yes. But they, yeah, they. so they, they have not played another home game since.
0: Uh, the Jayhawks lost by 25 to Texas last season. Self's worth, worst home loss as a coach. They had won four the last six games played between Kansas and Kentucky, which have played in six of the last seven years. Uh, but no numbers there. I, and I doubt I doubt they have that in the Kansas game notes, right? You know what? During the break, speaking of tabs that I have open and I don't know why, We are hitting the Kansas basketball game notes. Let's go. (laughs) Also, I'm intrigued by Texas Tech and West Virginia. I think that's big to see how Texas Tech handles the momentum from the win over Texas. All right, top five stories in the next.